Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Premier League All Access podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface. Alongside me, as always, TalkSport's chief football correspondent, Alex Crook. And making his first appearance in our starting lineup is the former Liverpool and England hero, Danny Murphy. Here's what's coming up. Does he roll the dice now and go, you know what? It doesn't matter that we're playing France or Germany or Belgium. We are a quality team and we're going to go with five match winners in our team. That's what I want. That's what I think we need to do to win the Euro. Is Gareth Southgate the right manager to tap into that potential? I'm not convinced. I've never been convinced. Is that not an easy argument, though? Every time something doesn't go right, we just go, oh, it's Gareth Southgate. He's not good enough. There aren't that many contenders for the German job, are there? I'm sure there are. We just don't hear about them. Sven will take it if he's doing nothing. <laughs> Danny, welcome to the Premier League All Access podcast. It's nice to have you. Always a pleasure to be on a show with you two. You know oh, that, guys. That's, that's very kind. Um, how's the international break uh, been uh, treating you? A bit of self-care? What have you been doing? Well, it's been nice, mate. You know what it's like when you work weekends and you're a Premier League employed, if you like. You're going around and the games or you, you're always doing something so it's been nice to have the weekend watching my boy play he plays Saturdays and Sundays so I've been being a football dad trying to keep my mouth shut on the touchline which isn't easy <laughs> is, it, is, it, is, it, is it hard is it hard to be Danny Murphy um, and watch your your son's team and do you sort of get involved in the coaching do you start prodding the coach saying yeah, I think you should probably do this or you know, I've got a little bit more experience here than you have. Shall I influence team selection? Do you get involved? Well, in I, it's it's funny you say that because what the, t- the Saturday team he plays for, I am involved in the coaching and the management side a little bit. So I do get involved in that with, with everybody's support. It's not me going, I know better. They've asked for my help. So I've got a lot to concentrate trying to help the other boys. But the Sunday one, I'm just a dad, let the guys get on with it. But I, yeah, I've... I've learned to zip it, zip it, Sam. You know, you can't, you, you've just got to let them play and enjoy it. You just don't want to come across as one of those know-it-alls. But, you know, it's it's just great fun because when you work with the boys, they have um, a real capacious kind of mind for the information. They want to learn. They want to listen. And it's, it's very rewarding, actually. It's the only bit of coaching I do. And it's it's a nice change from the media stuff and to, to be interacting with the boys. And there's some good players as well, so I enjoy it. That's good to hear. Uh, let's talk to one of those know-it-all dads who storms onto the pitch and uh, tells everybody exactly how the game should be played. Alex Crook is here. Hello. That's not true, actually. That is uh, that is not true. Like well, you, Danny, I, I, I keep very all. reserved. I keep very reserved. Although one of my boys likes me giving him coaching from the sidelines yeah, and one hates it. That's what they all say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're not on holiday yet, which is a, a little bit of a surprise for everyone, really. I will be in about an hour. Oh, right. So okay. get, get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, let's kick things off and take a look at England as they took on Ukraine on Saturday. Uh, this is what it sounded like on TalkSport. For 90 minutes, the focus of the Ukraine players is football. These are the top two in Group C. England could go nine points clear, or Ukraine can close the gap to three points against the bleakest backdrop. A football match means nothing. But right now, in the hearts of those players, three points would mean so very much. Ball brought down by Sudikov. Sudikov getting away from Saka's challenge. Brings it inside the centre circle. Buzz of expectation is there again in this fervent home support. Konopia on the overlap, playing it inside the area. And Ukraine score! And listen to what it means. 
let me tell you, the atmosphere inside this stadium when Ukraine scored was like something I've never experienced before. It was shudders down the spine. It was absolutely electric in this stadium. Oh, great ball. It's Kyle Walker and it's 1-1. Kane has found him and Kyle Walker scores his first ever goal for England. It has taken some time in coming. Cat number 77. But a beautiful ball over the top from Harry Kane. The full-time whistle is greeted with huge admiration from those decked in yellow and blue around the stadium here in Rotsbar. A disappointing night for England in terms of the level of performance. No getting away from that. Okay, so I think we were a little underwhelmed with the performance, um, but... We've never been there and done it. Danny, as we all know, has. Uh, he knows what it's like to play in these games and they're not as easy as they look. Um, so here are the three questions that I have for you, Danny, to start us off and then we sort of, we'll, we'll debate off the back of them if that's okay. Um, number one, do we expect too much from England in games like this where they're clearly the favourites and they're going to have to break down a side that are determined to defend? They're going to have to break down a low block. Number two, was the team structure right? Madison on the left, Looked to me as if it was a little bit lopsided, left Chilwell a little bit exposed. Um, and I'm not sure that Madison is a left-sided midfielder, but anyway, that's for you to answer. And once he realises, as we all did in the first half, that Henderson was off the pace, was it stubbornness that kept him on the pitch or was it loyalty? So there's the first three. Go for it. Well, the first question, um, I do think expectation is a bit too high, but maybe we've we've brought that on ourselves with our consistency and our really good performances. Um, you've got to take each game in isolation to a degree. Although we're better than Ukraine, expect to beat them. You've got to think about where the game was at, the hostile environment, the heat, the pitch didn't look great at all. I have to say there was a lot of people looking down at a pitch a lot of times. And that, that wasn't, I don't mean that in the normal play excuse looking at the pitch, but a lot of lot of problems with the pitch. It looked that way anyway, just from, from afar. Um, and actually, for the first period of the game, it was complete dominance. And there's nothing wrong early in a game where the heat, when, it, when it's hot, when you're playing abroad in any level of football, international or European, the idea is to get control of the game and not, you know, let that crowd gain momentum. And I thought we did that quite well. The goal came from nothing, really. So um, I, I do think it's a little bit harsh, some of the criticism, although they didn't play particularly great, especially in the final third. It was a bit hit and miss. It wasn't particularly fluid, so I accept that. And when you reach a certain level, which this England squad have now, we do expect more. We've got wonderful players. Um, but I think that particular game, when you think about what it meant to the Ukrainian players, when you think about the level of support, the pitch, the heat, so early in the season, I'd forgive England for not being quite at it. Team structure? I think you've read my piece, haven't you? You've, that's where you've uh, you've read my piece. I haven't, um, I haven't. Have you written a piece about this today? Yeah, so I I um, I concur completely. I, I think it was shorn in Madison in a bit. I understand... Um, never plays on the on the left hand side. He, he plays. He has done for Leicester. Not very often, though, Danny. It's been a rarity, hasn't it? It's been a rarity for a reason because he's not particularly good defensively. He's not. He's not particularly great. He's not. He's not a big long distance sprinter. He's not dynamic enough to chase fullbacks down. And as you so rightly said, the goal came from that side because Chilwell was two v one more than one occasion, and it happened again and again. So if you're going to give a player the freedom to move off the left, which is what Gareth talked about before the game you are going to leave yourself wide open down that side. And against better opposition, we'd get crucified, I think, against a really good side who had a flying right back. So against lesser opposition, you can get away with it. And we did up until they got in the, got a bit of confidence in the game. But moving forward, my feeling is that it's, this is a huge dilemma for Gareth now. Does he take a risk and change that pragmatic approach that we've always had and lose one of those so-called defensive thinking midfielders, let's call it, a more athletic Henderson. Trust Bellingham to know when to go forward and when to drop in with Rice and play either Madison as a 10, where he does for Tottenham and dominates games and makes things happen, or you put Foden in that 10 role. Now, the problem you've got by letting Madison drift off the left, when you've already got three in the middle, is that one, the right back can go with him because there's only Chilwell really coming down, which the other wide man, the Ukrainian wide man can handle. And there's not no space. There's not as much space in the middle because the amount of players already in there. 
So I don't see it being a solution moving forward. And, and also, just to add on to that, we've got one of the well, we've got two of the best left wingers in Europe, and on top of their game, Rashford and Grealish. So you want one of them in the team, whoever's playing well at the time. Let them fight it out. You've got Saka on the right. You play a number ten behind Kane, and you trust that Bellingham will do the work Obviously. alongside Rice if they need to defend. So that's my view on it. Does he? Just to conclude, does he? roll the dice now and go, you know what? It doesn't matter that we're playing France or Germany or Belgium. We are a quality team and we're going to go with five match winners in our team and we're going to roll you over. That's what I want. That's what I think we need to do to win the Euros. I think, obviously, Grealish wasn't available, but they've also, as you rightly said, could have played Foden out there as well. That was a a possibility for them this weekend. And the the final thing was about Henderson uh, being off the pace. Was it stubbornness to keep him on the pitch? I I won't put you in the position of answering that. You can do if you decide to in a minute. But let's get Crook in because I know that he's desperate to talk about Henderson because um, he he thought, like I did, we were texting furiously in our group uh, all Saturday evening about just the glaringly obvious problem of Jordan Henderson. He he wasn't up to speed. He, He... he obviously switched off for the goal. But then when you realise that you've got a player who isn't up to the physical level of the match and you've got someone like Jude Bellingham, who's obviously been a match winner for Real Madrid. I mean, just optics wise, if you're Gareth, you're thinking to yourself, hold on, shall I take off the star man for Real Madrid and leave on the geezer who's playing for El Atifak? Or... Shall I keep Jordan Henderson on and take off Bellingham? That just doesn't seem like a, a sensible decision to me. Crook? No, and clearly Jude Bellingham was frustrated by it. You could tell by his reaction. And I think where people are starting to get concerned about Gareth Southgate now and their concerns that I've addressed on this podcast on a regular basis, in Jude Bellingham, you have one of the best players in Europe right now playing at one of the most iconic clubs in Europe. You've got Harry Kane now, the number nine for Bayern Munich. And is Gareth Southgate the right manager to tap into that potential? I'm not convinced. I've never been convinced. Is that not an easy argument, though? Every time something doesn't go right, we just go, oh, it's Gareth Southgate. He's not good enough. I mean, tactically, you, you could argue that he needs someone alongside him in order to, uh, who's who's got that sort of tactical acumen that maybe he doesn't have. But then he has got Steve Holland is there and you would expect that Steve has that because we all know Steve and, and Steve is very good in those regards, Danny. Do you know what? I'm just going to come at the uh, a different angle from the Henderson debate and this ain't nothing to do with the Liverpool bias, it's just completely what I saw. I don't really think he... Uh, I didn't look at him and think he was off the pace. He made a couple of wrong decisions and I thought uh, uh, the, my point of not playing him and going the way I, I think we should play would leave him out. So that's not, that's not what I'm saying. But in terms of the game, I actually thought the decision at 65 minutes to play two midfielders and a 10, where you think he chose Foden to play as a 10, Rashford wide and Saka and Kane, was the right decision. It's just whether he left Bellingham on to drop a bit deeper or play Henderson and leave Henderson in there. I think he probably brought Bellingham off because he'd, he started getting frustrated, lunging into a couple of tackles where he was, he was looking a little bit like he could go over the edge. And I love, I love that about him, by the way. It's not a big criticism. We forget his age, of course, He's also probably going to want to play him again against Scotland and protecting him a little bit. And fur- and furthermore, you know, we can criticise Gareth, the in-game manager, lots of things we can criticise, but he's the one that's given Bellingham his platform to become an England player. He's the one that's taken the risk with him. So let's give him a bit of credit for that. But I don't, I've got no problem with Bellingham coming off. Uh, you know, he's put everything in. He's playing on the edge. That he, looked, he was getting frustrated. He got away with a few things. And I think with four four players on the pitch, it was fine dropping Henderson back in. And also on the goal, if you actually watch the goal back, which was a problem down the side, double, doubling up on Chilwell, you could argue Declan Rice or Jordan Henderson you could blame for not picking up. But they're over-covering or they're overthinking and Absolutely. the communication's gone because of the problem on the left. So I do, get, I do get Henderson is not the long-term answer. I get that. And I, and I, and I get that playing over there really should he have even been selected. My feeling was that, no, he shouldn't. And I stand by that um, because how, how can you stay at the level if you're playing over there? You can't. It's, I mean, I'll tell you, it's like, it's like going to championship and then, and you could argue the championship better. It's like going to championship and then trying to come back to international level. You're just way below it. Mm. So I don't think he should have been selected, but in terms of in the game, I didn't see, you know, it, 
what what people don't see sometimes is Bellingham for 20 minutes was sensational half an hour in that first part of the game he's getting Absolutely. on the ball he's beating people but he also had a spell in the game when he gave the ball away a few times but if Henderson gives the ball away a few times it's like he's past he's playing in Saudi you know we don't need him anymore It's people go down a narrative sometimes and I understand why totally get but, that and it's something huh? that we've been talking about quite a lot, actually, about narratives. And it, it, the, the Southgate narrative is another one of those, isn't it? It's very easy just to quickly jump on the narrative. The, the, the fact that England are boring is a narrative. It, it, we immediately jump on that as soon as something goes wrong. And with England, actually, I think there's a lot more to it because ultimately there's some, been some great performances, especially in the last couple of years, and we should appreciate those. But there are going to be games. International football is really difficult, and I don't think that we appreciate that. Maybe we don't do our job in the media to sort of convey that. It is really difficult. It's not like just picking the best 11 players out of the Premier League, sticking them on a pitch and going, go on, lads, play like Man City. It's never going to happen, is it? Because ultimately, and you know this, there's different personalities, different styles of players who all come from different systems. And when they get to international duty, there's a limited amount of training sessions that you can go to to get over complicated ideas. It takes time. Absolutely. And I, 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 I agree with all of that. I think most people now, are at the stage where I'm at, where they they want to see England get let off the leash. I think so. We can question who should play where, but the the the, the thing on Saturday with the game against Ukraine, there was an obvious imbalance, and I think because of that imbalance, we've we've then shifted it a little bit to Henderson. Whereas if the team was properly balanced, it wouldn't have really mattered as much if he was playing in there. But I um I don't I don't see us being able to win the Euros unless we do change the way and most people want to see us play more of our attacking players in the right positions that's all it's not that difficult it's not that difficult I think that's the key you know I mean you, you can talk about these narratives when it comes to Gareth Southgate but I think we all agreed that he picked the wrong team last night Danny's Absolutely. already summed it up put Bellingham in alongside Declan Rice if you want to shoehorn Madison into the team play him in his proper position in that number 10 role Rashford or Foden potentially to come in on the left-hand side to offer more natural width than we saw from Madison, though Foden would still have a tendency to cut inside as well, which is why I'm a, I'm a big advocate of of Rashford starting just for balance. And I think it, it just it just looks a much more different game. And I think England win the game with that setup. Why did we think, with our points lead at the top of the group, when we're playing Ukraine, that we need to hold him? Because, all right, let, let's get a bit tactical. You can call it two holding players. You can call Declan and then two in front. But if you play Declan Holder, Declan Rice holding role, and the two in front, you want them to be creators. So you could play, you can call Madison an eight or a ten. It doesn't really matter as long as he's got the winger outside. And Jude Jude Bellingham can play ahead of Rice, and then if we're under a bit of pressure with his physicality and his ability to defend, he can drop in when needed. So whether it's a two a two and a one or a one and a two doesn't really matter. What matters is the personnel you choose in that moment. And when you're playing the Ukraine. They are going to sit off. I mean, you'd have to be naive to think they're anything else. We didn't need that extra player. And we certainly didn't need Tryon Madison to try and find his way again off the left. It just, it, it's, it's a bit samey, isn't it? Same old, you know, we're having these same questions. Is it about Gareth trusting the players, trusting Bellingham to be disciplined enough out of possession that he does go in and, and play that holding role alongside Declan Rice? I think there's a lot of trust issues. I think that's the same reason why he picks Harry Maguire. Constantly, because if you look at Mark Gurhey, is Mark Gurhey going to be your starting centre-back at a European Championship? So the answer is no. No disrespect to Mark. He's a, he's a good, solid professional. He's a good player for Crystal Palace. Um, but he's not England's starting centre-back. Who would be then if, if, if next to Stones? It's Stones and Maguire, isn't it? No, I mean, if Maguire doesn't Dunk, play another game. I might game. play Dunk. I think Dunk's good at bringing the ball out of defence. He plays in a progressive system. He's playing in a team that's playing high-level European football on a weekly basis. He's I in- think uh, he's much better than Dunk. Do much you? quicker, much more athletic. Dunk, Dunk hasn't got the same pace as Gurhey and Colwell. No. I think I think Dunk is a bit like Maguire. Maybe a younger version and a bit better footballer. But he's, he's very similar in terms of his size and his inability to turn. And against the top level forwards, I don't think Dunk's going to start. But his distribution's I, I good. He's, he he bring, carries the ball out of defence really he's, well. He's used really to, well. used to playing in a, in a system what I think England would like to ape. Whereas I think that Gurhi plays at a level that is below where England expect to be and want to be. Um, and I think that listen, ideally, Colwell, you would expect to be playing Champions League football. He plays at Chelsea, playing uh, for the Premier League at a high level 
in a good system under Poch. But Chelsea aren't there yet. And actually, he has started the season quite timidly and out of position playing at left back. So yeah. it's difficult to shoehorn him straight back into the team. So at this moment in time, for me, if you're having if Stones is fit, you play Stones because Stones is terrific. Yeah. Um, and alongside him, you have someone who's playing at a high level. And at the moment, that person to me is dunk. But yeah, I can understand the arguments for everybody else. Um, North Macedonia drew with Italy, which means that we need basically one win. It'd be interesting to see actually what would have happened in the game yesterday if England knew the result from the North Macedonia game prior to that, because then the handbrake maybe could have come off. I expect it to now. They've got the Italy game, which... As long as I mean they, they ain't gonna, they, they're going to qualify. They've got to meet beat one of Malta or North Macedonia between now and the end of November. It's going to happen. It's through. You might as well throw caution to the wind now, right? And just have a great game against Italy, who aren't great because they can't even beat North Macedonia, right? They've got two friendlies effectively before then, haven't they? If you can call Scotland England a friendly, then they've got Australia mm. at home just before that Italy game. So I think it is an opportunity to try out some of those uh, you know fringe players. I think Eddie and Ketty will have been really disappointed not to make the cut for the bench uh, the weekend. I'm sure he'll be part of the squad and probably will get a debut against Scotland. But I, I think he's got to work on this Bellingham-Rice partnership, you know, over those friendly games yeah. b- before playing Italy. Totally. I think that's the opportunity, isn't it? It's, to, it's now to sort of hone those partnerships that you want to use during the European Championships. And Bellingham's got to be a centrepiece of that. And Rice is the only player that plays in that holding midfield position. So you've got to have him there alongside him. Um, obviously, there's injury issues at this moment in time. No Stones, no Shaw, no Mount. So that is difficult. But they all should be back for the next international. Well, most of them should be back for the next international break, maybe with the exception of Shaw. Uh, let's talk about the Scotland game. Danny. How important is it, despite the fact that it's a friendly? And uh, Steve Clark's done a very good job. We've spoken a lot about him on this podcast and the way that he's got... I mean, listen, they're not the most entertaining team to watch, but it's going to be another job of trying to break down a, a low block. So so how should England uh, approach it? Because it's important to the supporters, even if it's not important in terms of it's not a qualification game. I think we'll hear a lot of the right things coming from the players and the coaches, but ultimately the the important game, firstly for Scotland's done one. Uh, you'll probably see a much changed side for them, which will tell you the the importance of it. Um, and the same for England. Anybody's got knocks. Can't don't think Saka will play after getting that dead leg. I think Kane will probably get rested. I I can't see. Although the managers will say the right things, I can't see it being anything other than a chance for a lot of the the lads on the periphery to get a run out and see if they can cope in a hostile environment. It's the result is somewhat immaterial. I know there's history. I know there's some fans who love this kind of, you know, battle of Britain scenario, but now this the gone of the days. I mean, I remember being at England, Scotland at Wembley, uh, full to the brim when Beardsley got the winner in the eighties. Was it eighties? Yeah. And it was, I mean, terrifying experience, the amount of violence and, and hooliganism I saw that day. You know, the, the passion, you know, the, everything about it, the intensity, it was, it was ridiculously, it was electric is the word. It was just so important to everyone. That's gone. I don't see that now. And I think the players, you, this may sound a little bit harsh, but I think it's the reality, even though we are a close-knit and there is a group of players who love playing for the country, they do, they've proven that recently, but a lot of them will have their eye on the weekend. A lot of them will be thinking, you know, got a game, big one coming up in the weekend. I've got to protect myself for that. You won't be playing with the same intensity as you would for a Premier League game or the game against uh, Ukraine. Did you, I mean, you didn't ever get to play against Scotland, did you? In, no. In the early 2000s when you were in the England squad. Um, was that no. sort of something that you always sort of dreamt of as a kid? No. Wanting to play in that game. Was that ever <laughs> on your radar? <laughs> no. Not at all. I um, Weirdly, I never... I was very lucky. I started playing for England under 15 level and I played through all the ages. So I experienced a lot of international football from a young age. But when I was growing up, all I ever dreamt of was playing for Liverpool. I never really thought about playing for England that much. We didn't have the same exposure to international football that we have now in terms of watching all the tournaments the same way. And you got snippets, but... No, well, I just dreamt about playing for Liverpool. I never thought about, oh, I want to play in that England-Scotland game. Um, I actually did play in a couple of England-Scotland games in the youth, which was great. Played at Ibrox in one of them. I think we got a 1-0 win up there. The great experiences, but no, it wasn't my dream. 
Um, look, we talked a lot about England and the problems that they have. But if you think England have got problems, just imagine being a German. Um, Hansi Flick has got the flick, got the bullet after uh, just 25 matches in charge of Germany. They were beaten 4-1 in a friendly by Japan on Friday night uh, or Saturday night uh, in Wolfsburg. Um, and as a result of that, after 12 wins in those 25 games, he has been given the bullet. Um, are Liverpool fans nervous, Danny, about the possibility of the German FA now thinking with, a, with, with the European Championships being in Germany in the summer, them not having a manager, could there be a, a sort of softly, softly approach for Jürgen? Would that be? A, would you be panicking about that now? No, I don't know. I didn't thought about it until you said. I um, well, like, look I at just the panic-stricken faces, guy. He was all relaxed. Do you know what? The international do you know what? I can't, I can't see it happening for two reasons. One. Jürgen's start to the season and his love for the club and the rebuild and, and the ambition to win again and succeed. And furthermore, even if he has got ambition, which I'm sure he has to manage Germany, would you want to walk into that squad now where they haven't won a game in God knows how long and it's in disarray? You can't lose, can you? You can't lose. And it's a home European championship. Imagine if he took over this, the dying embers or of a terrible squad and then turned them into European champions. I mean, could you turn that down? He could well, they could, have him. they could have him for the summer. We'll have him back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, he, he, he could do both yeah, jobs, couldn't he? Could. Bear in mind could. they're only playing friendlies between now and the tournament. Absolutely. You know, that, that, that might be well, quite crooky, a good you do more than one job, don't you? do everybody else's job at TalkSpot. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> so he'll tell everyone. The bandwagon <laughs> boy, by the way, has been watching the rugby this weekend. Yeah. He'll tell us all about the Scotland game later whilst he's on the plane. I, I, enjoy, I, I enjoyed the rugby. Yeah. Uh, enjoyed uh, George Ford's performance. But anyway, um, I mean... There aren't that many contenders for the German job, are there? I'm sure there are. We just don't hear about them. Sven will take it if he's doing <laughs> <enough. laughs> Listen, what we don't want, actually, if we're being serious, we don't want Jurgen Klopp to leave the Premier League because uh, no. yeah, he's one of the best uh, football managers that there are in the game. And the last thing we want is uh, any sort of brain drain from the, the Premier League. That's for sure. Right, OK, let's move on. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Away from the internationals, uh, let's move closer to home and look at some of the latest Premier League stories. And really, most of them are, are dominated by Manchester United. 
And Anthony has agreed a leave of absence with Manchester United and will delay his return to Premier League action after uh, the international break. Because last week, the United winger was dropped from Brazil's international side following initial allegations of abuse made by a former girlfriend. The winger has now been granted a leave of absence by the club following allegations of violence made by three women. Anthony has come forward and made a statement on the decision and says it was a mutual decision to my teammates and unnecessary controversy uh, for the club. I want to reiterate my innocence of the things I've been accused of and I will fully cooperate with the police to help them reach the truth. I look forward to returning to play as soon as possible. Bearing in mind what's happened with Manchester United over the course of the last few months, they really had to take some sort of action, didn't they, and look as if they were getting in front of it, Danny? Yeah, I'm surprised it didn't happen earlier, if I'm honest, Um, without knowing the great, you know, the intimate details of the case but with everything that's gone on at Manchester United recently it was something that I thought that maybe they should have nipped in the bud earlier but it's another problem for the club isn't it it's another um, situation that they're going to be they're going to be scrutinised on and judged on every aspect of how they deal with this now and I think from a footballing perspective um, it causes Ten Hag real problems you know, how, how does he cope with the, the, this situation? How does he adapt the team? Because he's obviously, he, he likes Anthony as a footballer. He's relied on him. He, he played him no matter what. Mm. So it's, it's going to take a bit more um, tweaking from him. He's not going to be available for a while. I've got the Sancho situation. But yeah, I, I think it's the right thing. In answer to the question, I, I think it was, I'm surprised they've, they've, it's come out where they've said it's a mutual thing. I mean, maybe that's just to save face. They should have been coming out and dealing with it themselves and just saying, you know, we, we're taking him out of the firing line and um, he's not going to be playing for the foreseeable. So, yeah, we'll have to see how it plays out, Sam, but horrendous news for the football club. I mean, the, the main thing is here is the, the, the safety, the mental health and the, the, the care of the victims, the alleged victims involved in this case. And to Anthony if indeed it does come out that he is innocent of these crimes later down the line. However, the most important thing for Manchester United was to deal with it in the correct way, bearing in mind they're under scrutiny. Yet the first thing they did twice was, A, dismiss these claims and say that they were convinced that he was innocent, because they told us that six weeks ago when we first raised it with them, Crook. And then again, before the international break, they decided not to take any action. Was this another case where Manchester United decided that they could be judge and jury when really what they should have done was immediately turn around and hand it off to a higher authority who are more qualified to deal with this situation, said, Pauls, move out the way, Anthony, let us conduct a proper investigation or let the authorities conduct their, uh, their investigation and then we will move on. Yeah, probably. And if you look at it now, that holding statement, if you like, they released a few days earlier, is pretty worthless now because they've taken the action that I think, as Danny said, probably should have come at an earlier stage. But I think it's uh, an illustration of the lack of leadership at the, the football club. And I had a big rant about this on the Saturday session. People may have seen it on, on Twitter. The Glazers, with a Greenwood scenario, washed their hands of it, you know, and basically left it up to the chief executive. If you've got proper leadership right at the top of the football club, proper owners who actually care... Isn't that the about- job of the chief executive, though? I mean, the chief executive has to have some responsibility for the day-to-day running of the entity. Yeah, but I think, I think the owners also have to care about the way that their club is, is perceived. Um, and I'm not sure the Glazers do care about the way that Manchester United um, are perceived. And that's why they've not taken ownership of this situation. Um, ultimately, I think United did have their fingers burnt with a Mason Greenwood scenario. They took too long to make a decision about that. Then we heard that they were potentially making plans to, for him to be reintegrated into the first team. It was only when they got a backlash they decided against that. So I, I'm surprised they've not reacted more quickly to this. I think it's important to stress that Anthony's not been even arrested, let alone charged with anything as yet. So we have to see that he's innocent until he's proven guilty. It sounds like from his statement that maybe he needed this leave of absence to try and prove his innocence. Obviously, he went public on TV in Brazil. I'm not sure that Manchester United knew that was going to happen, but he's felt the need to come out and defend himself. I think the key here, unlike the Greenwood situation, I know the police have to conduct a thorough investigation, but the, the criminal system in this country takes too long in lots of areas, not just in cases like this. I think it needs to be resolved quickly. 
so that the victims can move on, so that Anthony potentially, if he's proved innocent, can move on and so that Manchester United can move I, on. I think there's two things here, isn't there? I mean, we are in a situation now where the court of a public opinion moves faster than the courts of the judiciary. And as a result of that, people will rush to judgment and decide someone is guilty or not. And if you are that person who is being accused of crimes of this magnitude, then your willingness to defend yourself supersedes everything else because you'll feel like you're engulfed in it. And he, he feels he can't escape from... From, from from the the constant pressure that is is upon him now obviously it has to be investigated properly because if he has committed these crimes these are incredibly serious situations and it's not great for him uh, uh, going forward but it's also you know there are victims here that need to be cared for potential victims alleged victims at this stage so really you're, you're absolutely right about the fact that it's it's a very tricky situation because the last thing Manchester United want to do is find themselves in a in a scenario where they suspend a player because of a accusation on social media or in uh, traditional media and, and it turns out to be a spurious claim but at the same time they have to be sensitive to the fact that it might not be so and therefore they have to to, to, to weigh up whether or not it is the right or wrong thing to do to keep him involved on a day-to-day basis. It's very tricky and it's not the easiest scenario to manage and it does have knock-on football implications as, as Danny has already uh, alluded to. One of those is who plays on the right-hand side. That's sort of like a secondary worry in comparison to the victims and to, 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 to Anthony at this moment in time, bearing in mind we don't know the outcome. Garnaccio could play there, Pellistri could play there, Mount when he comes back can play there. They've got enough players in that area in order to, to, to solve that problem. Uh, one player who it won't be, though, is Jaden Sancho, I don't think, Crook, because relations between Sancho and Ten Hag remain very strained, don't they, after that spat? So, I mean, they, they, they sort of almost tried to hand him off during the last days of the Saudi window. Yeah, I think they were actively pushing for him to go to Saudi Arabia. If anybody over there would have taken him on loan, and taking up this obligation of a £50 million transfer and he'd been up for it, I think he would have gone. Um, I'm not sure this is a situation that gets resolved easily. If you look at his social media, that inflammatory statement that he made after Ten Hag's comments post-Arsenal is still there. He's not taking it down, so he clearly feels he's in the right. We know that Manchester United uh, privately are backing Eric Ten Hag. I don't see either of them finding too much middle ground here. And it's a problem because usually he would be a light-for-light replacement, although from what we're told, he doesn't want to play on the right-hand side anyway. And that's one of the issues that Ten Hag has had to deal with. Um, Look, when he was at Borussia Dortmund, there was issues with lateness. Um, Attitude came into question when he was at Manchester City and wanting to get out of their youth team after joining them from from Watford. It isn't the first time recently that his attitude has come under scrutiny. His sulky behaviour after he wasn't selected for a game at Euro 2020 uh, drew the ire of uh, of Gareth Southgate. Um, it's difficult, isn't it? Because we don't know. We weren't in team meetings. We haven't been there. We don't know what he's like in training. A lot of people think he's okay. You know, he's obviously got a, a good a good relationship with some of the players and not with some of the others. Danny, how how do these situations come to a head, and what do you do? Is it all if you, if there is this much noise about a player, do you in the end have to accept that there might be a fundamental issue? I mean, they did give him the opportunity to go away and get himself right, didn't they, before um, the resumption of the season after the World Cup? Yeah, it's it's a it's a sad. I find it a sad situation for a player who's got so much talent and ability. I really do. But the manager generally wins these battles. Sam, I've I've been in some battles myself with managers, and I've 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 lost. Have you been sulky? Have you been difficult to yeah. be around? Have you been someone who didn't train properly? Um, no, well, very rarely. I, I've I've had situations with managers where, you know, I've I've risked me leaving the club and that's generally ended up what what's happened if I've taken them on if you like and um, I'd look back and change some of those things if I'm honest because it's mainly about ego um, there's there's obviously a, you need good people around you sometimes sometimes you have to stand your ground I mean don't get me wrong I didn't do any of this in public you know I, I had I had the resilience or the courage maybe is a better word to go and have these conversations and have it out. And even though I got treated in a certain way a couple of times, <clears throat> I stood up for myself, but really I'd have probably been better nodding my head at times and probably just trying to prove them wrong and get on with it. Because ultimately um, you, you are employed by the club 
to do as you're told by the manager. And if, if you simplify it to your work ethic in training, if he tells you you're not working hard enough or he tells the world, then you work harder. And you give yourself every opportunity at staying at one of the biggest clubs in the world because he's not going to get this opportunity to play for a Man United again. And that's the thing he's not seeing. That's the thing you don't realise when you're in that environment that, yes, he knows he's a super talent. Yes, he knows he'll have takers. And he probably thinks the managers of United, everyone's against him. He's in that mindset. The reality is he's not going to get a Man United again. And if he can somehow find the emotional intelligence is the word to self-analyze point the finger at himself which is so damn hard to do let me tell you go to the manager open his arms and go I want to start again I'm sorry I, I've I've made some bad mistakes here and I do want to, but it looks like it's too late it looks like Ten Hag although he didn't seem to do it with loads of malice it looks like he said what he said in the public eye because he's had enough I think he's probably given him more chances than he wanted to. And it looks like his time's coming to an end. But if I was if I was close enough to Sancho, if I was his mate, his father, his brother, I'd be saying to him, like I wish I had someone say to me at times, because I couldn't be told. I wanted I, I wanted someone sometimes to challenge me. I need, not wanted, that's wrong. I needed. I didn't want to be challenged. I needed. <laughs> and he needs to be challenged right now because you're talking about the rest, of your, the rest of your life, you remember what you did in your career. And I'm telling you, when he's my age, sitting wherever he is, not about money, he's going to regret this 12 months of his life. So, so there will be some, and Adrian Durham is, is one of them, who has said that actually Eric Ten Hag's management style might be outdated because he has alienated Ronaldo. He's dealt with him in, in, in a certain way. He's dealt with Sancho in this particular way. He's, in an effect, affected Maguire's career, who's one of England's best performers over a certain uh, period of time, would you suggest that um, Eric Ten Hag's management style is a little bit too dictatorial, or is he reacting to the circumstances that he has found at Old Trafford? My understanding is is that it's a, it, it, before his arrival, it was a little bit loose there. <laughs> so it, it needed a strong hand. But is that still viable in today's game? The phrase I always use is that before Ten Hag came in, the kids were running the classroom and now the teacher is back in control. And actually, I think you'll find that most of the Manchester United players didn't disapprove of the way that he treated Ronaldo. I'm not sure that he's ruined Harry Maguire's career. What, because he decided... I didn't say... I I said that's what your man uh, Adrian said and I'm raising a question about style. Because he's decided that he doesn't want to play him. You know the private conversations, and they've now been made public, actually, have taken place between Ten Hag and Maguire, yep. where he's told him he wants him to stay and fight for his United career. Uh, so I, he wasn't I, I trying to drive him out the door. I wrote that story in January, uh, in June, sorry, when um, yeah. I spoke to people very close to uh, Harry Maguire who told me exactly that, and they wanted him to come out and say it publicly. He eventually did that, and he stayed as a result of that. Well, we knew that very early. But you can understand where people were coming from, right? You can understand that we, there will be some people that turn around and say he's being too much like an old school manager here. But but he tried the arm around the shoulder treatment with Sancho. Yeah. And even that's been used against him. There's been people that are close to Sancho saying that he didn't have any right to come out and say that, that he was suffering potentially mental health. He didn't actually use those words, by the way. But I think he felt by doing that, he was coming out and almost asking people to lay off Sancho putting an arm around his shoulder, giving him time to go and collect his thoughts. Clearly, it's not had the desired impact in terms of performances. So now he's gone the other way. And what we do know, and we've all done our diligence on this, is that Jaden Sancho actually isn't held in particularly high regard by his teammates anyway. I understand that he was close to Marcus Rashford at one point, but the football club were a little bit concerned about that relationship and maybe Sancho having a negative impact on Rashford. So I agree completely with Danny. I think now is the time for Sancho to look himself in the mirror and say, have I made the most of this amazing opportunity? He started 56 games for Manchester United and made no impact in any of them. And as you say, he's had problems at Borussia Dortmund. He's had problems with the England camp. And actually, this is not a football problem. I would say this is a society problem that in 2023, too many people when they're not performing to the best of their capabilities, look for someone else to blame rather than actually taking ownership of the situation. Oh, you do that, by the way. I don't think I do. (laughs) 
I think you know what a lot of a lot of all the great managers have made really really difficult decisions to get rid of big players at certain times. When you go down the years, we could start naming them all and thinking of them as a tour. It's loads, but generally that doesn't play out. The the arguments, the disagreements, the the differences of opinion don't play out on social media. They play out in a four walls or a training ground where a big player and a manager, Fergie, or Benitez, all these players over the Benga, they've sat down with players and gone, your time's up here, you're done. But it doesn't, we, though, the social media aspect, I don't like, I don't think that's healthy. Um, I, I think the only thing Senog maybe didn't think of too much, maybe at the backing of upstairs, was the confirmation, if you like, of his statement to other prospective employers that they're getting a bad egg which takes a huge chunk off his value. Yes. And I don't think that was particularly smart. Um, and I don't think the owners would have been particularly enamoured by that because you can deal with it differently. I'm I'm not suggesting you don't get rid of players when they're not your cup of tea, but there's ways and means of doing it. And I think most, over recent years, when you look at some of the players that have left City unexpectedly, you know... It's just done quickly. It's just done quickly. And, and also, on a flip side of that, you know, Pep has dealt with some situations, for example, let's use Pep. When you think of, let's say, John Stones, who was out of it, didn't play, did he, for the best part of the season? People were talking about where's he going to go, what's yeah. he done, is it his attitude, he's fallen out with Pep. You know, whatever went on with them, they've rekindled that and Pep's brought him back into the firing line. Kyle Walker. You know, he's put Kyle Walker's another one. Even Diaz had a spell out. Well, you know, good spell out of the team. When you, and I mean, Gundogan for a season, when Bernardo Silva was playing alongside Rodri, Gundogan was a bit part player. And all of a sudden, you know, somehow they, whether they fall out with Pep or not, I'm not suggesting, but players can sometimes have spells with managers where it's not going so smoothly. I had a wonderful experience with Julia, as you know, and I, I know yeah. he was one of my good, greatest managers. And even me and Gerard, who I thought was like a dad to me at one point, it was we were that close. Even he, at one stage, pulled me in. He dropped me out of the team and the squad on a match day, pulled me in and basically said to me, you're not doing enough in training. You've had a couple of few good seasons. Now you think you're the top boy. You think you're brilliant. You need to, you need to sort yourself out because your attitude's not right and you've changed. You've yeah. changed your demeanour. You've changed the way you are in training. And I wanted to say to him, what are you going on about? You know, you're talking rubbish. But what did you say to him? Well... Yes, boss. I, I was in shock at the time. <laughs> I, I, I was in shock. And I basically, after after we'd got so far together, it helped me. I, I left, it took a bit longer than a few minutes. But when I'd actually taken it on board, I, I basically said to him, what do you want me to do? Tell me what you need me to do and I'll do it. And he said, you're going to have to run around in training like a headless chicken to show every member of the staff and every player that you have got the right attitude again and you're not too big for your boots. And you've and you got to get into this training ground with a smile and speak to people normally and not thinking, you know, rushing off here to wherever you're going and whatever you're doing and changing, you know, get back to the Danny we know, get back to that attitude and that personality. That's what you've got to do. And I tell you, Sod's Lord, he went and won the next five or six on the spin. It took me about seven. I think it took me, and I had a little ankle injury in a reserve game. I, I ended me taking it, but it took about six or seven weeks to get back in. But I got back in. And you learned your lesson as a result. I did, but I have to say that that was partly Julier's brilliant management with me that had given us that relationship for him to go hard on me. So every situation is different. I get it. But I do think Sancho, if he could, and it, and it's highly unlikely, if he could have a U-turn on his own vision of himself and his, and how fortunate he ought to be where he is, I don't think Ten Hag's that ruthless enough to write. I think he might say, come on, let's show me. Okay, This is I, where he needs the right people around him, though, isn't it, Danny? This is where he needs his inner circle to actually say, look at yourself. Do, do you believe that you're entirely in the right in this situation? That's is never going to happen now, ground? because that inner circle, I'm guessing... Um, and this is, a is the reason he's in this position exactly because otherwise someone would have already said that to him previously I mean we've, we've highlighted incidents uh, listen I, I think Ten Hag 
there's probably a better way of dealing with it than talking about it in the media. I think we can all sort of accept that. It probably wasn't the right thing to do and he probably could, should have dealt with it behind closed doors and in other circumstances he might do. But he has been in such a bad situation where he's having to put out fires in so many different directions. Yeah. I think maybe in the end he's sort of maybe laying down the law and actually starting a fire under one or two because another thing that managers do, and I know that Fergie used to do this regularly, is that when he knew that there was players that he he needed to light a fire under, he, he might end up having to go at somebody else and really make an example of them in order to kickstart somebody else. He did it with Rooney. He used to always have a go at Rooney, mm. really go yeah, into did. Rooney because Nanny couldn't take being had a go at in that in that same way. And he, he sort of hoped that it sort of would have a, an effect on the person sitting next to him. Uh, but I don't think that in this circumstance, really, I mean, you could sort of say anything other than poor old Eric Ten Hag is working under difficult circumstances. Then again, I think he's being quite well remunerated for it. I was going to say poor fella. Yeah, poor fella. <laughs> I, think he, I think he's probably all right. And of course, Alex Crook just keeps going on social media and telling him how it's nothing to do with him and he can do no wrong. And even if he makes really bad tactical decisions, it's all the Glazers' fault. Um, it is, and sometimes, listen, listen, even the closest people do have fallouts. The other week, Danny, me and me and Crook had a little bit of a fallout after a podcast because uh, Crookie left the podcast without uploading his audio because he was so keen to get the go- to, to a golf cut. Um, a golf club and he'd asked me to cover him on the radio because he was so tired and he just wanted a day off and he just just wanted to get away and he didn't want to be there anymore and he was getting stressed and I said to him calm down just you know get your stuff done first and you can go off I'm covering you this afternoon so you can have a little bit of time well all I'm trying to do is just chill out all I'm doing is chill out blah 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 and he was giving it all the large. And then afterwards, is, he isn't said to this him, sounds a bit like what I've just said about me at Liverpool when I was got a bit above my station because yeah, I just got, got me feet under the well, table. Well, there you go. Few, there you go. Maybe that's the situation. Season. Maybe that's the situation. Uh, we had to take him down a couple of pegs or two. And I said to him, you just can't. In the end, he was sending me text messages, loving text messages from the golf course, <laughs> saying to actually, he actually sent me one that afternoon saying, You've saved my game. <laughs> That was after he smashed me on one of those stupid simulators that I'll never play again. And I decided whether I would actually ever pick up a golf club again. But luckily I have done. There you go. Anyway, uh, now you go and enjoy your little holiday, darling. And uh, make sure that you come back nice and refreshed. That when we're together next week, we can all have some fun. Um, and Danny, it's been brilliant. It's absolutely fantastic. Really joy good. to have you here and to, to listen to your insights about England, about Manchester United, about uh, about just playing the game. Really, to be honest, with you. It's, it's been an education. So thank you very much. We appreciate it. We'll hope to thank see you, you again soon. Uh, the Premier League All Access podcast will be back uh, early on Thursday to preview all the weekend's footballing action. It'll be live on YouTube as well that afternoon. So you'll be able to follow it there as well. Thank you very much for downloading it. Make sure you tell all your friends about Premier League All Access from TalkSport. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.